Today we're continuing our new series called King and Kingdom. And today's message is entitled, The King With Us. Now, I remember years ago, whenever I was a pastor at a different church here in California, and on one morning, one Sunday morning, I was going into the children's Sunday school class. It was a, it was a large room packed with lots of kids, eager to hear about the Christmas story. And I was uh, reading to them uh, a classic text that we'll be reading here moments from now today with you. And that text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, when I read this story to the kids, and I got to verse 23 that says, The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. A kid interrupted me and shouted out loud, I thought his name was Jesus. This kid was almost like mad that maybe as if I had changed the story or I had given a different name to Jesus, that name Emmanuel. Another kid responded just after that kid and and said, yeah, I, I thought this story was about Jesus. Now, as a teacher, I love being interrupted. I loved it because they were processing They were thinking. And you could almost see the thought bubbles above those little kids' heads. And the thought bubbles were saying things like, Emmanuel, that name is used for God. And Jesus? And then this climactic thought bubble that came above their heads, Jesus is God. Yeah, I'm hoping that you and I come to the same dramatic, climactic conclusion today. And by the way, that conclusion, that Jesus is God, and that this King has come to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, has two very large implications that I want to look at today. The first one is God came to us. And the second one is, God gives us ongoing fellowship. Why don't we read this classic text here found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And I invite you to find it there in your liturgy, there in your worship bulletin. Uh, Just scroll back up if you're using your phone. Um, If you're wanting to, you can, you know, see the QR code just above us here and participate Uh, by looking at the worship liturgy and following along through all these verses. Let's read together. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, one of the chief objections to Christianity, I'm going to name one right here. And if you are a skeptic listening to this, uh, you have a list of objections to Christianity. If you are a follower of Jesus, you too are most likely a doubter of some sort, to some level, to some degree. And I would even say that that's healthy to keep your faith very vibrant. But one of the chief complaints and objections to Christianity is that no human being could ever, ever be God. No human being could ever be God. And I actually agree with that. The Bible actually agrees with that. In fact, the Bible and Christianity teaches something quite drastically different from that. It's not that a human being became God. Christmas is a celebration that God became human. Verse 23, as we were just reading, it says, Behold, behold, the, the writer Matthew um, is saying, Behold, the, the, the writer that Matthew is quoting from there in the Old Testament, Isaiah, one of the prophets, he's saying, Behold, God is speaking through this prophet. Behold. And what that's meaning is, yes, Christmas is a time for the nostalgia to hit you. Good memories from long ago, the creation of new memories here in Christmas time, which we're all learning to do in the pandemic. You have maybe you have some time off. You're getting Christmas gifts and you're putting those underneath the tree, or there's someone that you can't wait to buy a present for. Uh, the nostalgia's fine. But I want you, in addition to the nostalgia, I want you to be thinking about what Christmas means. That's what that word behold means. Think, reason, ponder, pause during this season of Advent and this season of Christmas. The first point we're making here today is that God came to us as a human. Pause right there and just try to absorb that. It's a very, very unique claim very unique claim that the Bible is making, that God became a human, very different um, from the Eastern religions, which are pantheist, you know, saying that they, they believe that God is in everything. God can be the water. God can be the tree. Or how the Greeks and the Romans are polytheists. They believe in a lot of different gods and that God could dress up and come to this earth Yet for the Jews, yet for the Jews, they believed in the God of the Bible, the uncreated creator. And here in Matthew chapter 1, the Bible is doing something incredibly unique. The New Testament is attaching itself to the Old Testament. 
saying that this God, this uncreated creator, is going to write himself into the story and he's going to become a human being and he's going to be born as a baby in our world. This is so drastically different than all the other narratives, all the other religions, all the other worldviews that are out there. Matthew chapter 1 that we're reading from today is the first place in the New Testament where Jesus is introduced in the New Testament. And as he's introduced here, he's introduced as God, just like that child in that Sunday school classroom that interrupted me saying, wait a minute. You just said that this promised one who was coming is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. I thought his name was going to be called Jesus. Hey, wait a minute. Emmanuel, God with us, the same one that would be promised to come to us, this God that's coming is Jesus? Yeah, that's the first time it's mentioned in the New Testament. And the New Testament continues. The Bible goes on repetitively saying, proving that Jesus is indeed God. See, nothing about Christianity makes sense unless Jesus is God. In fact, a lot, perhaps, if you're a skeptic, a lot of your objections probably hinge upon that very claim that Jesus is God. Now, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? That's a great question. John chapter 1, there in the New Testament, it says that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that God came into this world that he created. In Acts, also in the New Testament, it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. And he's talking about Jesus's blood, that Jesus, this little baby that would be born, who was the promised Messiah, the promised King, this Emmanuel, God with us, who would be born. He would also live and then die, and it would be through Jesus's blood that the church would be purchased. It says by God's own blood. <laughs> is it God's own blood or is it Jesus's own blood? And the answer is yes, Jesus is God. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus not only healed people, but he forgave them of their sins. Read some of those miracles there in the New Testament of Jesus whenever he would heal someone. The Bible would then say that Jesus looked at that person and would say, your sins are forgiven. Now, some in the crowd, as they watch Jesus heal a person and then say, your sins are forgiven, some of those people had very strong objections. They would say, blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this person? Is this person claiming to be equal with God? Now, how Jesus can forgive sins is because all sins are against Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus owns us. And Jesus assumes that he's God. That's how Jesus presents himself. So this Emmanuel, God with us. Now, where does the Bible say God with us? Elsewhere in the Bible, you look back in the very first book of Genesis, God's special presence there. 
walking with and talking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that God was with them. And then humanity's fall into sin, that catastrophic part of the story, that great crash that took place there in the story of humanity, when humanity fell into sin there in Genesis chapter 3, that we were separated from God's presence because of our willingness and our choice to sin. Now, the presence of God in the Old Testament, if you've done a survey of the Old Testament, or if you haven't, I'll give you one real quickly, regarding God's presence in the Old Testament, but it's quite terrifying. It's quite terrifying, God's presence. He appears to Job as a hurricane or a tornado. If you've ever seen a hurricane coming or a tornado, it's quite terrifying. That's how God's presence is described. He appears to Abraham as a smoking furnace in the air. Quite mysterious and terrifying. He, he appears to Moses as a pillar of fire. God's presence that entered the temple as the Shekinah glory cloud. Quite terrifying, quite powerful. In Psalm 23, you'll remember the psalmist here beautifully wrote for us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God, you are with me. You are with me. Elsewhere, the Old Testament prophets promise that God's special presence, it's coming. That's why in the season of Advent, it's a season of waiting. It's a season of longing for God to come. Today, I believe we're even singing one of those wonderful Christmas hymns, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Here we are celebrating that Christ indeed came as we look back there in first century, that Christ indeed came. And now we are the church not only celebrating that, but we're also longing for Christ to come again, which he will indeed do, that God will be with us forever. So these Old Testament prophets spoke about all of this and that God is coming not only as a human, but he's coming as a baby. Wow, a baby so humble, so meek, so lowly. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This is the verse that Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 is quoting. It's this wonderful news that God looked at us. He looked at our brokenness. He looked at our story. He saw our pain. And he wrote himself into the story. And so the New Testament, God becomes vulnerable. God writes himself into the story and God becomes a vulnerable baby in order to become close to us. In order to become someone that we can relate to. I mean, I have kids. I have kids, and, you know, after they're a few years old, they, they have their own agenda. I mean that with all due love and respect. They have their own agenda, and you, you can't necessarily hold them like you used to be able to hold them. These little babies, these intimate, humble, you, 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 I mean, there's nothing like a little baby. So meek, so humble, so soft. You pick them up, you hold them, you hug them, you kiss them, 
why would God come as a baby? I mean, again, in the Old Testament, the last time God came, he came as a tornado and as a fire. And this time Jesus is coming as a baby who's going to grow up and then he's going to die. He came to save us, is what Matthew is telling us in this scripture that we're reading together today. He came to save his people from their sins, that he, Jesus, would live a life that we should have lived, and then that this Jesus, he's going to die a death that we should have also died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, about this time, you're probably saying, okay, okay, so what? God came to us another Christmas. I'm bored. Well, I hope you're not bored. I hope you're thinking, and I hope you're reasoning, and I hope you're feeling this. That God came to us means that salvation is by grace. See, every other religion says to you, here's the way for you to find the way to go and connect with God. Here's the way. And if you go the way, and if you do these steps and go along the way, you will eventually get to God. It's sort of a way that you might ascend to God. That's what basically all other religions and worldview use teach. Here's the way. Here's what our teacher, we had a great teacher. Here's what they taught us. So just go and abide by the teachings and the way, and you will eventually find yourself uh, getting to God. And the Bible and Christianity teaches just the opposite. Christianity does not say that Jesus is pointing the way to God. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus would say about himself in the book of John, also in the New Testament. He's not saying go and follow that way that some great prophet is teaching you about. He said, he, Jesus is saying, I am the way. Every other religion is going gonna, is gonna to tell you, 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 you just got to live a good life and you're finally, if you live a good enough life, you're finally going to get to God. And you know what? Most, most of the time that leaves people believing, you know what? I'm living such a good and moral life anyway that I don't need a savior. You know, I don't need a savior. Um, it could also leave some people with an underlying fear and insecurity that they're not doing good enough. And maybe that's a fear and insecurity that you are constantly plagued with. So yeah, instead of viewing salvation as by grace, you may be viewing it as something that you have to attain with your goodness and your morality. And so it's going to create this fear and insecurity perpetually in your life, wondering, have I done enough? Is God pleased with me? It could be leading you to having pride and disdain for others because, once again, you may think that your morality and your goodness is pretty darn good. 
And so you're looking at others with pride and arrogance and disdain, thinking, oh, I just wish they would get their act together. It could also leave you with feeling self-loathing because you're honest with yourself and you know that you're not doing good enough. Here's the good news of Christmas, is that God came to us. Jesus is God with us to accomplish for us what we couldn't accomplish. That's the good news. Good news is something that's already happened, not something that we must try hard to make happen. This word, Emmanuel, God with us, I mean, who is the us that's being referred to here? It seems like some kind of narrow exclusivity, does it not? The us. I mean, who's, who's the us and who's the them? Who are the insiders and who are the outsiders? I mean, is it referring to some super moral group of people that have earned their way to heaven? No, no, no. The gospel, the good news of Christmas is that people who are lowly, people who are humble, people who can admit that they need this Savior, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Look in verse 23 with me again. It says, the virgin will conceive a child. What? I mean, listen to that. The virgin, Mary, will conceive a child. I mean, we listeners, come on, we know enough about sex and sexuality. We know where babies come from. Mary is a virgin. What a miracle here. Supernatural conception. This is divine intervention in human history. That the promise of a redeemer must be fulfilled. God had promised it long ago. Remember Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. Remember, they were around 100 years old, and whenever the angel came to them and promised that they would get pregnant, they would have an heir, and through that heir, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. They were 100 years old. You know what their response was? Abraham and Sarah laughed. <laughs> they laughed. They knew that they were 100, and they were incapable of making that happen. But it was God's promise to make it happen. The impossible would take place. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, really means. Is it the impossible? What's impossible for us is not impossible with God. See, we're prone to laugh at the story too. We're prone to think that God's ways are crazy. Now see, if Christmas is right, if the Bible is right on this, that God became a human being, became a baby, and was born to us, if, Christian, if Christmas is right, you can trust that this God and that God's ways are creative and redemptive. You can trust this God. And if Christmas is wrong, the sad news is, is you're on your own to figure it out. 
I thank God that the good news of Christmas is that we're not on our own to figure it out. We're not on our own to figure life out. And that brings us to our second point, is that God gives us ongoing fellowship. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, means. God gives us ongoing fellowship. It's God's ongoing presence. That's what this title of God means, Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a one-time visit, but a perpetual visit. Yes, even when you're asleep. Yes, even when you and I forget that God is with us. Yes, even when we are stressed out and not trusting in this God. That God is perpetually with us and giving us ongoing fellowship. However, like in other relationships, we get afraid that if we say something stupid in that relationship, that that relationship with this other human being may end. That person may unfriend us, or that person may not want to spend time with us anymore. God is not like that when we think about God's presence. Emmanuel, God with us forever. You can't scare God away with your bad habits, with your doubt, with your confusion. God is with us forever. I mean, the context here, let's get a little bit to the context of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and to that original audience... That original audience that Isaiah was writing to, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah because they needed to hear a good word. That original audience, those six, seven hundred years before Christ is even born, as Isaiah is writing to that original audience, they are fearful. They are fearful that God wasn't there that God had forgotten them, that God would not bring and deliver this king that God had promised and that they needed. Where is God? Is God going to deliver? Is God going to come through for us? And so it's into that context that Isaiah, speaking God's words, says to them quite clearly, behold, Behold, that means whatever you're thinking, whatever you're reasoning, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, behold, there will be a virgin and she will conceive. And she will have a son. And she will call him Emmanuel. That is God with us. That was good news coming into that original context. It was good news there for a first century audience. They're in Matthew's day and for our context. The fear that God won't be there for us. Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever doubted that before? The fear of lack of connection. The fear of being lonely. The fear of isolation. God, where are you? Being without a sweetheart may make you feel lonely. Others of you who have a sweetheart, you may say, well, having a sweetheart can make you feel lonely at times. Being surrounded by people can make you feel lonely. 
Being new can make you feel lonely. Being, a new, being in a new place, being in a new job, being in a new situation, being in a new school, being different than those around you can make you feel incredibly lonely. That's your context. That's my context. Being without a purpose or a specific role can make you feel lonely. Being in a very difficult situation or a, an ambiguous situation where you don't know how it's going to end. Think final exams or think an interview that you have coming up for a job or any of these things can create a sense of fear. Those are the moments where we need to be reminded that God is with you, Emmanuel. God with us means God is with you forever. See, Christmas means that God actually wants to be close to you. God isn't doing this out of some duty. That's why whenever we light the Advent candles, representing Jesus is the light of the world, and so more and more light is coming into the world each progressive week as we light one more candle on that Advent. The candle's there. We're not doing that out of duty or because we have to. We're doing it in response, out of longing and expectation. Come, Lord Jesus. Try to take that in, that this God with you wants to be with you. God has gone to infinite lengths so that you can know him personally. God is not a concept to believe. God is not a feeling to enjoy. God is not a power to bow to. God became human, became a human being so that we can have intimacy with God as a person. We can come near to God because God has come near to us. It's a response. That's how we worship. See, it's one thing to know things about God. It's another thing to know God personally. It's just like it's possible to go to a concert and listen to your favorite artist, to know all, the, all those songs by heart. And when things get different is when that musical artist invites you backstage personally to hang out with them, to get to know them, and they call you by your name. Martin Luther in the 16th century, a monk who finally got converted, finally understood the gospel of good news one day whenever he was studying Romans chapter 1 verse 17, that Luther, Luther said, at that, at that time, I felt ushered into paradise. See, at that time, Martin Luther moved from knowing things about God to having a personal experience and a personal relationship with God. He finally understood the gospel. He finally understood that God is with us. John Stott, in his book, Basic Christianity, said... Anybody who ever met Jesus Christ only had three responses to Jesus. Terrified and wanted to run away. 
or they hated him and wanted to kill him, or they worshipped him and got down on their knees and gave him everything. No other response is rational when you see who he is. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Emmanuel? That's the question before you and I during this Advent and Christmas season. That's the question that the Bible presents, is who is this Jesus? What can account for all the data? All the data that people there in the first century were beginning to follow this new leader who was claiming to be and truly was God. That this man, Jesus, is he just a great man? Was he just a prophet? Was he a crazy man? I mean, what made those people follow this Jesus? What makes people today follow King Jesus? I mean, we're celebrating just this week that one of our former members of the Table Church, he was uh, here in San Francisco studying at the Conservatory of Music, became a, a Christian through our ministry, and has now led his father to Christ who lives in China. That, that's amazing. Praise the Lord. What a celebration for that. And he became a Christian. Both of those men have become Christians because they are convinced of Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, what would lead someone in the first century to follow Christ and what would lead someone now to follow Christ? The answer is they must have seen a life that matched the claims. They must have seen a life that matched the claims, that truth and love were combined, mercy and justice were combined. They saw and began to realize that Jesus was God, that these people were willing to die for that conviction that Jesus was God. Let's, let's talk about some life applications as we come to a close here. Some life applications during Advent and Christmas season. Some people have spent their entire lives studying what this word Emmanuel means. John Wesley uh, is perhaps one of those because as he was dying, he uttered these words. The best of all is God with us. One life application during Advent and the Christmas season is bring your doubts and your honesty. That's what Emmanuel means. Bring your doubts. Bring your honesty. Identify why you're feeling doubt, why you're feeling loneliness and doubt of thinking, God, where are you? Is it true that you're with me and that you're always going to be with me? Let God meet you right there. Don't fear. Don't fear whatever you're going through. Remember that God is with you. Remember the words of the prophet in Isaiah chapter 41. So do not fear. 
I am with you, says your God. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The second life application is take off the limitations that you've placed on God. Some of us have tried to put God in a box or put God in a straitjacket. And the life application here for us is take those limitations off of God. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, means. Imagine Abraham and Moses and any of those Old Testament characters who heard that this king, this Emmanuel, God with us, was coming. Imagine any of those characters sitting here with us right now, listening to these words come from Matthew, our gospel writer. That, wow, it actually happened. That the promise came true. It wasn't just a fairy tale. It actually, the prophecy was fulfilled. Verifiable truth, truth that Christ came into the world as God. Those Old Testament characters, if they were here with us right now, they would say, get rid of your cynicism. Be confident and joyful of who God is and what God can do in you and what God can do in this church. Be confident of that. The Bible says that God is with you and God will continue his work that he started in you. So don't walk around with your tail in between your legs. Walk in humility and walk with confidence. The third life application is get near to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, means get near to Jesus. It is a response to get near to Jesus. God has gotten close to us. Now we get close to God. What are you doing? What are you doing in response of God being present with you? That's the Christmas challenge. Again, it's not an effort so that you can finally work your way to God. No, no. The gospel says that God has come to you. And in response, in response, what's keeping you from getting close to him? Is there some habit Is there something that's way too important in your life? Is it that you need to give something up or just give 30 more minutes each day or one more day a week just so that you can truly get closer to God? What is it? How can you grow closer to God during this time? And I encourage you, give yourself totally to him now. Give yourself to him. Give yourself in response to this Emmanuel, God with us. As we close in prayer, I'm inviting us to pray a a prayer out loud together. It's a congregational prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's printed right there in your liturgy. And it's taken from Matthew chapter 6. Pray this prayer from your heart.
Let's pray it aloud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.